0: I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what I like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And I'm here back in Newport Beach, California, with my good friend and co-worker, Mr. Sean Latimer. Woo. And today we're talking about an article I wrote called Lessons on Stubbornness. And the reason, before you smile and laugh at me, that I know lessons on stubbornness is because, as my wife would say, I am stubborn as a mule.
1: You are. And as, you know, one of your closest friends, and I work with you, you are.
0: (laughs) And I'm here to tell people that you shouldn't be stubborn. Uh, So I'm the perfect person to be writing this article because I have a a deep case of stubbornness,
1: right? That's true. You've gotten better, though, because now you will say you know, my mind can be changed or, or or you'll challenge people and say, okay, change my mind or tell me why, tell me why I'm wrong.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably a sign of maturity. I think um, when you're younger, you just kind of believe that, you know, everything about the world and how it works. And as you start to get older and you realize how much you don't know and how, how many times you build up a good track record of being wrong Um, like we can give a really easy example right now, you play fantasy football. And I was telling you, man, I really think Cam Newton is going to be an undervalued pick this year. And I think the Patriots are going to do really good. Uh, And I was wrong. Yeah, I was rooting for Bill Belichick, and uh, maybe rooting against Tom Brady. And uh, halfway through the season, that is not working out very well. But there's still more season to be played.
1: Not to get too into sports, but it it is pretty funny. I I hear on Sports Talk Radio, they talk about Um, You know, like the divorce that goes better for one person and worse for the other. It's totally like that. Tom Brady is on this team that's doing great. There's uh a... the chance that you win another Super Bowl, and the Patriots are like a dumpster fire. <laughs>
0: okay, I'm still stubborn. We're like halfway through the season, so this could still <laughs> oh, okay, play out. got it. Got There's it. this idea that when people play together, they have to... Chemistry. Chemistry, Yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. But the reason I wrote this article is that I find, myself included, right, a lot of people in finance are stubborn about things. And they're usually hot topic items. And I listed a couple of those things um, that could be insurance, it could be debt, it could be cryptocurrency. And what I've found is that people come to a conclusion at some point in their life. And then what happens is that they hold on to that conclusion, and they become cemented in it. Mm -hmm. And five years down the line, 10 years down the line, they still believe that same thing. But sometimes they forget how they got to that belief.
1: Yeah, it's true. They
0: it's forget about the evidence, the variables. I cut you off. Go
1: ahead. No, it, we kind of talked about it with social security. People are like, oh, you never do it that way or I'll always do it this way. But well, that's not the case. It's different for everyone. And it might depend. Yeah, Our, it, our favorite answer. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It depends because it's ever changing, right? So what you have to be really careful about with stubbornness is when you come to that conclusion you have to keep challenging that conclusion and you have to keep, I don't know what you would do, like a list of the reasons or the evidence or the factors that make that up. Because not only can those factors change for you personally, the outside environment and factors can change as well. Mm-hmm. We joke about sports um, and maybe how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did last year and now they have Tom Brady. But Tom Brady is not the only variable. Um there's a newer coach, uh, there are different players, even though he'll get a lot of the credit, there is, it's multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that to say that I wasn't wrong. So
1: is that that, that what's happening? (laughs) Yeah, it's not just Tom Brady. (laughs)
0: Um, Anyway, so what I used in this article was I wanted to use an example of a time I was really stubborn, and I had a lot of examples. So there were a lot of things I could write about. I thought the topic I chose was kind of funny, because looking back uh, now, I don't agree with myself, uh, which is funny to argue with said old self. But at one point in my life, I was a huge advocate for renting. Um, I had a lot of friends that were getting married, starting young families. um, And I wasn't, I was still a single guy. And a lot of them were anxious about buying a house. And when I say anxious, they were kind of rushing it. Mm -hmm. They wanted to buy right away. Um, Even if they didn't have enough for down payment, whatever they needed to do, show them the paperwork to sign. They wanted to be homeowners. And I started to build up this idea of, like, why do you want to be a homeowner? And I felt like a lot of the reasoning was just this...
1: Social pressure. Yeah.
0: Just like, American dream. Need to be a homeowner. Need to have white picket fence. And I really... Like to be a contrarian, um, what some people call devil's advocate, but I'm not advocating for the devil. Um, so I wanted to argue the other side, and I really, I before I even got into these debates or conversations, I wanted to believe that renting was the better choice. And then the worst possible thing happened. I watched this video from a gentleman named Saul Khan, uh, who started the Khan Academy, and he laid out this whole argument for why renting was better than buying. He had an Excel sheet. He went through the numbers, and I was like, "You're oh, sold. This is gospel. <laughs> yeah. This is the type of information I needed." Um, so I stuck onto that. And the thing I didn't like about it is renting was better than buying for me at that time. Yeah. But it wasn't better for anybody else. And I wasn't giving the it depends answer. I was telling people all the reasons why they should consider renting. And it was really bad to do that. And I was stubborn. I'm a homeowner now. So what changed? Well, like, let's go backwards. You were joking before the podcast on some of the places that I've lived. Um, yeah, I, I when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I lived in a house with six other guys. And there was only three bedrooms. And my rent was $400 a month. In that situation, renting is better. Way better. It's way better because when you compare it to a mortgage, it blows it out of the water. But is it realistic to pay the $400 a month in perpetuity? It's not. It was for one season of life. When my entire life fit in one Tupperware box.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the circumstance matters. Like at that time, uh, people say what's better, renting or buying. Well, if you're paying four thousand dollars a month in rent, maybe someone would say, you know, that's a lot of money to be spending on rent where you're not getting any equity or ownership of something. Uh, But in that case, four hundred dollars. I think at that time you're paying off student debt. You were saving a lot of money. Like that, That's a really good situation to be in.
0: Yeah, 100%. And then you go back and you look, okay, that was particular to me. But were there other things that were changing? Yeah, interest rates were a lot higher then. So what a mortgage would have been then is different than what it is today. So it can't be an answer of what's better buying versus renting. It does depend. mm mm-hmm. And what I've been teaching people in a lot of my phone calls recently or a lot of in-office meetings is talking to them about, here, you want me to show you what financial planning is? Financial planning is the accumulation of a ton of little micro decisions. So each time you come up against a financial obstacle or a decision that needs to be made or a financial fork in the road, what you need to do is you need to put all the options of what you could do in that situation, option A, B, C, D. All the options. You need to look at the cost and benefit of each of those options and then the trade-offs between them. And then you have to figure out what's best for your situation. So for some people, renting could be better. And for some people, buying could be better. And when I was single and renting a room and my whole life fit in one Tupperware box, renting was better because it was more cost-efficient. Renting was better because I liked the flexibility of being able to move, you know, mm-hmm. live by the beach for a couple of years, live a little bit more inland, live closer to work, um, and be able to move and make those changes. When I started a family, that wasn't true.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned something in the article that I, I didn't even really think about, but when you're renting with the family and kids and then something could change and you guys have to move, I, I didn't even think about that. That, that could be really stressful. it's a terrible
0: thing, right? If you're a renter and your landlord comes to you and they say, hey, we decided to sell this house and the buyers are going to move in in 60 days. Um, That's a huge change for your life. What if a lot of other things are going on in your life? Like COVID and uh, work circumstances Job are changing. Change. And yeah. all these things. And then somebody's throwing that curveball at you. Guess what? That curveball doesn't show up on the financial calculator. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at these qualitative factors. And what is this article all about? It's about stubbornness. If you're stubborn and you come to this conclusion, and then you go into one of those circumstances that you didn't measure that risk that was possibly out there, you're getting slapped in the face for being stubborn.
1: Yeah. Another thing too is, uh, I've talked to a lot of clients about it, is uh, putting a price on the peace of mind. Because it comes up a lot where should we pay off the mortgage? Or should we save it and contribute somewhere else? Where maybe the dollars and cents add up that not paying off the mortgage and borrowing at a lower rate makes more sense. But the peace of mind, and if they're kind of adamant about that peace of mind and reducing future costs and all that good stuff. Do you have that situation come up with clients where you have to factor in like the emotion part too, even if the math might say one way is better?
0: Yeah, you know your clients really well. So when they ask me that question, I always tell them this, do you want the textbook answer? Do you want the academic answer? Do you want the answer that works out in the calculator? Or do you want me to give you the answer that I know like fits best for your situation based on your own values, beliefs, and what you want? Because those two answers are very different and you start to bifurcate this idea of, quantitative quantitative factors and qualitative factors. And you start to learn, as you get older, I think, that those qualitative factors that are murky, they're not easy to assign a dollar sign to, actually matter a lot more. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you use words like peace of mind or whatever you might say. Um, Those factors need to be handled through conversation, through a dialogue, not through math. And that's why... You got to be really careful with that idea of stubbornness because you're going to inherit beliefs about finance from your own personal experiences, uh, from your parents, from a book that you read, from a YouTube video that I watched. And if you start solidifying in that belief way too strongly where it starts to feel like stubbornness, you forget all the reasons of why you got there. And if I look at myself now... If old self, Trevor, 22 years old, was trying to advise me today that renting is better, I will destroy him in a debate. (laughs) And I will tell him the importance uh, that I don't have to uproot my two little boys and move them in a 60 days notice. Um, That living in a neighborhood in a school that I want them to go to is really important. Yeah. And the other factor That I actually wanted to write this entire article about, but after thinking about it, it just became a different article, was when I was first thinking about this, I never realized how much of a hedge on inflation a mortgage is. Yeah. And I think it can be brushed over because that terminology isn't really obvious. But what I mean by that is when you get a mortgage, let's say the most common mortgage is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Yeah. You're fixing your housing expense for 30 years. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years is a really long time. You're only going to live a couple
1: increments of 30 years in a whole lifetime. Hopefully more than a couple, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 30, 60, 90, I guess we're we're
1: adding from now, yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, So my point is, what happens when I do the calculation and I figure out, oh, rent is cheaper and I'm going to make this all just based on dollars and cents that I want to rent versus buy. What's going to happen with rent is your landlord wants to make money on this property. Yeah. They're going to increase your rent, maybe not every year, maybe every other year, and it's going to look a lot like inflation. So it's going to be like 2 to 3%, and it's going to creep up, and you're not going to recognize it. Yeah. And I remember from when I did rent, because I remember our first place was like $1,500 a month. And then I remember our last place renting was like double that. Yeah. And I didn't really notice it. It was kind of the boiling frog as I went yeah, along. Yeah. But if you don't factor that out when you're doing some sort of financial planning, you can be selling yourself short because you're going to think that this rent cost is going to be fixed in perpetuity, which it absolutely is not going to be.
1: Yeah. And that's just happened in this area with real estate prices to begin with. Uh, I grew up in Orange County area and I remember seeing houses in neighborhoods that were three, four, five hundred thousand $500,000 that are now seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000. And it's like everything in life, but it was pretty amazing thing that because you assign things value and you look at it like, oh, I've never spent 800 grand on this house because I remember when it was 400 and it just creeps up on you, like you said.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'm really careful too when people are having those conversations because I remember saying back in, I don't know, call it 2015, where I would never pay X dollars to live in that neighborhood. That's just way overpriced. There's going to be a correction. There's going to be all these things. Okay, five years later, you're paying like 30% more. Yeah. So you got to be really careful because by making those statements, you're definitely speculating or forecasting of what the future will look like.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, maybe this is a a good segue or we should maybe save it for a future article. But what do you say to people when they when they say like, oh, we really want to buy a house in this area, but we're going to wait for the right time. You know, I have a feeling it's kind of frothy, the bottom's going to fall out. What do you say to people that say that? Yeah, there's this book, and
0: I've never read it cover to cover, um, but it's called Super Forecasting. And Phil Tetlock talks about this idea of all of our little biases and different things on how we think we can do a really good job at predicting the future. But most of us, a majority of us, like 99% of us, whether you're on TV or whatever, are horrible at it. Um, so anytime you find yourself forecasting, not just for fun, not just you and I talking about Cam Newton, right? That's just for fun. But when you're talking about forecasting and then making
1: huge
0: life decisions on that, don't do that. (laughs) So what I do with that person, when they start doing that, as I start to pull on that thread, what's your confidence level on that forecast? That's that's where you start, right? So you think there's going to be a correction. You pull on the thread. How big is that correction going to be? They say 20%. Okay, so you think everything's going to get 20% cheaper. When? Then they have to assign a time to it. Okay, now what kind of confidence would you assign to that? Is there an 80% chance, a 90% chance? When you go far enough down that line, I think people will lose confidence in their own forecasting. And then secondly, then you attach a dollar amount. Would you be willing to wager on that? Um, because would you be willing to put your
1: money where your mouth is? People bet with their dollars. Yeah. Or they vote with their dollars. That's right.
0: Because in reality, if you had a skill of forecasting with a high level of accuracy and confidence, you'd be very wealthy. Because whether it's through gambling or investing in stocks that can benefit from that, that type of forecasting is
1: huge. True. If you have that ability, you can monetize in different ways than saving 10 or 20% in the house.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you go think about the big short, right? The film that came out uh, based on 2008. And these people that forecasted a belief that the housing crisis was going to happen. And they bet money on it. But guess what? A lot of them started in 2006. Mm-hmm. Got ridiculed for 24 months till it became true. Some of them couldn't make it that long, couldn't afford it. Um, and there's this kind of this saying that, uh, I think it's Keynes that said it, but that the... Market can stay solvent longer, or the uh, I'm gonna butcher it. I don't remember it. Somebody can
1: stay solvent longer than you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: basically, uh, the market can stay ir- uh, irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Oh, yeah, That's- so it's just this idea that, yeah, you could absolutely be right, but you also have to be right on the timing, on the velocity of it, on all those factors. So it does kind of segue us back to this idea of stubbornness. Like Be really careful in anything that you have 100% confident belief about because you'll be wrong, I don't know, most of the time. Because if you can be right 52% of the time, that's how Vegas makes their money. Right. So it's just something to be thinking about. I mean, this article, like most articles, I'm trying to accomplish something. I'm trying to write about financial planning. It's a hard topic to write about. So we're using these examples and these topics and these very personal things to try to portray these truths. This article is not about buying versus renting. This article was about how stubbornness can get you in a lot of trouble. And you have to search your own beliefs, your own mindset, your own financial plan to see if there is any stubbornness in it and then to be able to wrestle with those things.
1: But don't worry, listeners, you can overcome it. Just like Trevor has.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. I don't know if I have, because I think when we get off this podcast, you're going to tell me how stubborn I still am. Nonetheless, the great thing about having a financial planner or advisor is that you can wrestle these things with them. Um, And you can disagree with your advisor. That's totally okay. It makes for good discourse, and you can kind of go through these things. And you can conclude sometimes, if it doesn't make sense, dollar and cents, that it still makes sense for your family. That's okay. All I'm asking is that you wrestle with it, that if you are hard-nosed about something, Just be willing to have a conversation because God knows our country has a really hard time doing that right now, that a lot of beliefs about a lot of things like politics are polarizing right now and nobody wants to come to the discussion table. So what I'm telling you is that financial planning looks like that you always come to the discussion table, that you put all the options out there, you weigh them against each other, you do the cost benefit, you look at the trade-offs, and you figure out what's best for your family, and what's best for your financial plan. And there's not much more to say about it than that. Don't be stubborn. If you are stubborn, wrestle with it with your financial advisor. And... If you are stubborn, come back and listen to Thoughts on Money every week (laughs) so we can convince you to stretch your perspective. Uh, We would ask that you rate the podcast, leave a comment. Sean can be reached at slatimer at com. You can get me at tcummings at com. We really appreciate you coming. We'll see you next week where we'll bring more of our Thoughts Thoughts on money. Money.